Hello, my name's Jack Howard and welcome to The Screen Test. This is a show where we take some of our favourite films and TV shows and put them through a series of rounds to decide definitively and officially and scientifically which are some of the greatest of all time. Joining me, as always, we have chief film critic at The Independent. It's Clarice Lockery. We have one third of the cyber nerds, Joe Akinwin. And we have this week joining us, we have film and TV critic Rihanna Dillon. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 We also have Alexa here, if we ever need her for anything. Alexa, tell me a secret. I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan. Just ask me, me to talk like Keanu. <laughs> Alexa, talk like Keanu. Dude, strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Bang. Ah! Oh, she finessed it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so I think in the past year, we've all managed to catch up on a bit of TV almost like there was nothing else to do. And on Prime Video, there's some great American TV dramas such as Mad Men, Mr. Robot and American Gods, just to name a few. And this was inspiration for me to pick this week's episode, which is, which is the best American TV drama ever. Okay, so this is how it works. I'm going to ask you each what your favorite American TV drama is, and then we're going to put them through a series of rounds. And if you win the round, you get three points. If you lose the round, you get one point. And if you come in the middle, you get two points. It's simple enough. So let's start with Rihanna. What is your favorite American drama? My favorite American drama is <laughs> The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Nice choice. Why have you picked that? This was a show that got me through lockdown. Like I only discovered it uh, during the pandemic. And there are three series. There are three series up on Amazon Prime at the moment. And it's, so it's about this woman who has a seemingly perfect life in the 50s. She's a housewife. She's supporting her husband, who is dreaming of becoming a stand-up comedian. And then he breaks up with her because he's not very funny and he sort of blames it on her. And in some sort of drunken stupor, she stumbles on stage and finds out that she's actually fucking hilarious herself. So that is just basically the premise. And because it's set in the 50s, in 50s New York as well, it looks incredible. Like, I know we're going to talk about this later, but it looks brilliant. The performances are excellent. It's this fantastic ensemble cast. And because it's in this pastel-coloured world, it is such a lovely escape from our current reality. Okay, Joe, what is your pick and why have you picked it? My favourite US drama is The Sopranos. Um, the Sopranos is the story of American gangster Tony Soprano and how he goes about living his daily life um, as a family, as a family man, and as the boss of the mob. Um, and it also just takes us into a deeper dive into his mental state. He's the the mob boss, but he's also suffering from panic attacks, and it just puts us into a dynamic that you've never seen. Usually we see mobsters and gangsters being glorified for all the stuff they do, but it gives you a very human look at mobster life and what they're doing at home. It's also got a great cast of characters that were all relatively unknown going in and came out the other side, you know, stars. Okay, so we've got two series that are quite easy to sum up. And now we come on to the most complicated one to try and <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Clarice, what is your favourite and why have you picked it? So I picked Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, What's it about? Well, somebody killed Laura Palmer. <laughs> Who? We're about to find out over the course of one and a third series. 
Yeah, do you, do you count the 2017 one as its own thing? Or is it, a, what do you think of? I mean, look, because David Lynch is David Lynch. He's all like, it's not a TV series, it's a movie. And you go, ha, 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 ha. Very good, David Lynch. It is a TV show, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think of it completely as just the third season of Twin Peaks because I know stylistically it's very different in a lot of ways. But, like, thematically and the way it continues the story makes perfect sense to me because at the end of season two, Laura Palmer says... I, I might be getting this wrong. I, like, I'll see you again in, in 25 years. And then we did. Okay, so we have The Sopranos versus The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel versus Twin Peaks. All excellent choices. And I'm just going to be upfront. I've only seen, out of those three, I've only seen the first season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I, because you've all suggested what your favorite episodes are, which we're going to talk about later in the show, I've watched singular episodes of Twin Peaks, <laughs> The Sopranos, and I've watched a later episode from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I think I don't think that's weird because I think that we're living in a time right now where we're essentially just exchanging TV shows back and forth to each other. You're like, oh, I've just seen this. Have you seen it? No, I've been watching this. You should watch this. So it's this constant thing. So I think we could probably do this subject again and have an entirely different discussion. Um, but first... We're going to do the IMDb rating round, which is the only round I don't have any power in. This is the power of the people. We're going to find out in what order IMDb ranks your shows. But first, I want to ask, what do you think is going to be the highest rated and what do you think is going to be the lowest rated? Take it away, whoever you want. I personally think it's, like, hands down got to be Sopranos. When I heard that we're going to be talking about Sopranos today, I've never seen an episode, which I know is pretty dreadful. But equally, it's like, if I haven't seen it by now, it's been out for 20 plus years, am I ever going to get around to it? I don't know. But I know it's supposed to be pretty good. So I think that's probably going to be number one. I think Twin Peaks has so many good qualities, but it's also can be seen as terrible so uh, maybe misunderstood Clarice maybe misunderstood <laughs> and for that reason I think it's probably going to be last and I think Mrs Maisel is just going to be sitting pretty in the middle <laughs> who agrees who disagrees I'm gonna have to agree I think if they gave out tens on IMDB this would be Sopranos would get it they do nah they don't. <laughs> they don't they don't they say they do it's an illusion that they give you but they don't um it's I'm, one three that brings it down yeah it's just that one person it's, it's the it's the you who hasn't seen it <laughs> um can't be that good <laughs> then i'm gonna give t twin peaks i'm gonna put twin peaks in last as well just because i think it's got a cult following that means that when it came out everyone was so 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 i'm gonna think that's gonna drop the imdb rating a bit and then the marvelous mrs i'm gonna think that everyone's currently a prisoner of the moment and just over scoring it so it's going to be in their second clarice you, you, i have a you factual correction twin Ooh. peaks was actually massively popular when it first premiered i think it broke ratings a pilot episode so it was like this is the thing everyone thinks that twin peaks is like some niche cult thing they referenced it in the simpsons and yeah. that's honestly they nailed it you know homer going brilliant apparently. i have no idea what is going on that's apparently. how i felt watching that one episode <laughs> gorbachev like phoned the president and was like who killed laura palmer <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was it was like huge when it came out but then season two happened and i know i'm gonna take the hits for it because uh when they revealed basically abc forced david lynch and mark frost to reveal who killed laura palmer and after that it kind of went 
because David Lynch got bored and he went off to make Wild at Heart and only came back for the final episode. So yeah, I I agree. It's the same. You think it's going to be? You think that the rating? Everybody agrees that the rating is going to be Sopranos, yeah, Sopranos. top with uh, Twin Peaks bottom and yeah. Mrs. Maisel in the middle. Yeah. Even though they're wrong. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Let's do the obvious one first. Alexa, tell me the rating of The Sopranos on IMDb. The IMDb rating for The Sopranos is nine point two out of ten. That's pretty close to a 10. 9.2? That's pretty high. Okay. The people people like The Sopranos. Hey. Okay. Alexa, tell me the IMDb rating of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks IMDb rating is 8.8 .8 out of 10. Whoa. 8.8 okay. pretty high. You've got some life. Thank you. Do we think that the marvellous Mrs. Maisel can be 8.8? .8? I'm going to go no. I you don't think so? I'm slightly worried mm. now. Possibly no. What number like, do we think it's going to be at? I'm going to get this, it's this like 7.8 higher. Okay. Sevens. Mm. Can it be 8.8? .8? Alexa, tell me the IMDb rating of the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. The IMDb rating of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is 8.7 .7 out of 10. Oh, oh damn. So close, but we're, you're all wrong. Yeah. So the actual order is The Sopranos, and we give you three points, and then Twin Peaks with two points, and The Thank marvelous you. Mrs. Maisel <laughs> with one point. So that's the first round. The second round is cast. So we're going to be talking about specifically why your show stands out because of who's playing your main characters. And we're going to go to The Sopranos first. Joe, take it away. All right, my cast um, starts off with Tony Soprano, which plays by um, James Gal Delfino. Um, Delfini, sorry, excuse me. Um, and he, I want to say he carries the show, but the supporting cast in this is also so good. But just him, he's been nominated six times for, and I'm not even someone who like, lives by nominations and stuff and awards like that. And that. But um, he's been nominated for the best um, actor for TV drama six times. He's won it three times. Um, the the next main actress in the show, Edith Falco, who plays his wife, Camilla's also was nominated six times, uh, won the award three times as well. She's also in Nurse Jackie and starred in Oz prior to The Sopranos. She plays just one of the strongest female characters I've ever seen in any TV drama. And it is great to have her bounce off um, Tony Soprano in this show because it's like with most with most shows at this time when this came out in 1999, um, you just never saw families that were dysfunctional. And this, this mob family is dysfunctional. You've got the dad who's the head of a mob boss. You've got the mom who's pretending like her husband isn't the head of a mob gang, but loves the life that she's living, the higher class, the money, all of that. But she just tries to turn a blind eye to all of the murders and <laughs> the weird stuff that happens around the house and the family. These actors are perfectly cast for these roles. And, and they, I've never seen anything like this. And this is what's crazy. Um, like if you guys get a chance to watch just one episode, you will know instantly that this, this, the show is perfect. Um, it touches on subject matter that might not be for everyone but like if you're into film if you're into good television if you're into family drama or just into seeing people getting suffocated with plastic bags 
this is the show for you. Uh, <laughs> dead wrapped in plastic. That's like my wrapped thing. Wrapped in plastic. Wrapped in plastic. So talk to me about the cast in Twin Peaks then. It's interesting. You've kind of got two groups. You've got the original gang, which what I find fascinating about them is that they are just have been those characters for the rest of their career. Like Kyle McClacken has been steadily working ever since Twin Peaks. I mean, he's continued to work with David Lynch. Um, he's like done Desperate Housewives, Sex in the City, but everyone sees him and they go, oh yeah, it's still Cooper. Like, do you want a <laughs> cup of coffee? <laughs> and it's the same for, for Peggy Lipson, like even Laura Flynn Boyle, I think, Dana Ashbrook. So you've got kind of got that side of it. And then you've got um, <laughs> what David Lynch did when he came back to make season three. And he went, I'm going to cast everybody. <laughs> and they released the cast list before the season came out and it was 200 names long. And there's people like Laura Dern, Naomi Watts, Tim Roth, Monica Bellucci, Bernice Barlow. Uh, <laughs> like literally just every every person who you would imagine might circulate around David Lynch. Just a quick question, just to play devil's advocate, because I would yes. say and this is somebody who's only seen brief things from Twin Peaks, but like I said, I just wanted to put it to you. Do you think that the show is is successful because of who's casting it or more because David Lynch has got a very strong voice? Is that more about what makes the show than the cast? I think the thing with David Lynch is that he's really good at picking actors and he always finds people who have this essence about them. Like, if you take Kyle MacLachlan and Naomi Watts, because they're, like, my two favorite of his, and I guess Laura Dunn as well, they they both have this thing where there's such an essence of, like, purity about them. I mean, Kyle MacLachlan, you see him on Twitter, like, tweeting away about his wine company, <laughs> and he seems like the sweetest man on earth, and there's, like, a sweetness around him. And you have that with like Naomi Watts and Laura Dunn. And so he, he puts these very wholesome actors in this environment and somehow out of them like emerges this weirdness. And so I think it's, may it's maybe a little bit different than Sopranos. Like, yeah, different people could have played that roles, those mm -hmm. roles, but David Lynch is incredibly smart in having picked them, if that makes sense. But right. he also chooses some actors that are just terrible. Like, you can't say that the character of James is played by a good actor. Like, that's <laughs> just... Like, there are some performances which are so horrendously, like, stilted and wooden and weird, even in the world. To the point where you're like, why did that... Why did he do... Rather than, yeah. like, it being... Uh, yeah, but that's because it's it, Twin Peaks you have to kind of put it in the context of it was 1990 and like we'll get into this later but the only shows that had existed until Twin Peaks were like Dallas and sure. Days of Our Lives. So it was completely breaking new yeah. territory. And, and they so didn't know how to act in 1990. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> That no. was the problem with 1990. Yeah. No, 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 that style of acting is very deliberate because they're bringing over because everyone in Dallas can't act either. Like it's just a thing. I've never seen Dallas either. I've just they they not can had just great trust things. me. 
they couldn't act <laughs> like n- none of the people in these soap operas could act and and so they sort of like brought over that style very deliberately because if you look at Kyle MacLachlan's performance like we know that Kyle MacLachlan is an excellent actor and yet there is this very deliberate stiltedness to his performance I know what you mean as well that like in in early earlier television Mm. there was a difference between being a film actor and being a television actor and that has blended now that ended in 1999 (laughs) on January 10th when the Sopranos hit our screen. I'm going to come to you now you've had your time I'm sorry sorry You've had your time. It's time to talk about the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Um, so this stars Rachel Brosnahan, who I haven't seen in a huge amount of things, but I feel like she's been a jobbing actress for quite a long time. And you might know her from House of Cards. She plays Cool Girl in House of Cards. And I think that was something that she had a bit of a breakthrough from. She was in like one episode of Gilmore Girls, and it's the same creator, mm-hmm. Amy, Sh- um, Amy Sherman Palladino. I never know how to pronounce her name. And... I think the fact that Amy had seen something in Rachel all those years ago in Gilmore Girls and then cast her as the star of her new show was a huge, huge deal. And she is phenomenal. She has to carry that almost entirely. I guess a bit like James Gandolfini in that she is this central character, but then again has a fantastic ensemble around her, including Alex Borstein, who is... Lois, who is so brilliant. She has such a brilliant voice. Lois in Family Guy. You might also know her as um, the my first period woman from Friends. Um, she is, she's... That was quite a good impression. Well done. <laughs> Actually unrehearsed. Um, yeah, she is fantastic and is such an angry character and brings so much humour with that next to Midge Maisel's kind of really fast-talking um always kind of like up character they kind of bounce off together so so even well even their um height difference yeah. is funny <laughs> it's really it's great she's tiny she's tall <laughs> um and something else they do really really well is build up a lot of tension and romance in slightly different ways with the male cast so you have luke kirby come in as the the comedian lenny bruce who was a real character midge Maisel isn't a real character but in her world real people come and go and uh, she's loosely i think based on joan rivers kind of that sort of era of comedian growing up in the 50s and saying rude things she shouldn't say yeah basically yeah her phrase is like tits up right? <laughs> <laughs> she in episode one she bears her tits on stage and gets immediately arrested which is how she meets lenny bruce and so this is episode one this is the pilot and they very very slowly build this relationship up the relationship the kind of um chemistry between um rachel brosnahan and luke kirby is fantastic because it's such a slow burn they give you time with these characters to make you think oh they're just friends oh it's just platonic it's a shame they'd be great and then like three series later they go on one hot date and it suddenly erupts all of this tension from episode one. And I feel like those characters, those actors really hold that and make you believe in that really, you know, worth it was really, really worth the wait. Joe's got something to say. Yeah, it's just tough for me with like both of these shows because I'm like, how many seasons of The Marvelous Mrs. We're on on the third season. There's three seasons. Like, have we even hit the threshold yet to like really know how, like how good this show is? Like, yeah, because it's not one where I'm like, wait until season three. That's when it gets good. It's no, good I, from listen, the pilot. Listen, I give you your credit. It's, it, 
you say it's good from the beginning and I and I'll take your word for it. But I feel like if we're talking about TV shows, there's a longevity that also comes with them. Do you know what I'm saying? And and I feel like three seasons is I would like to know what happens in a fourth season, how you feel about it in a fifth and sixth one. Do you know what I'm saying? If we're going to talk about it being the greatest US <laughs> TV <laughs> not, what was show the thing ever. That and Indiana Jones got says cancelled, it's not it? the mileage, it's the whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, The Sopranos has got six perfect seasons, so... Yeah, but David Lynch could make... See, this is the thing with Tom Peaks. Everyone wants David Lynch to so make more So what happened after season seasons. two? What, like, why is it 25 years till we get the next season? Because he went to do other things. Oh, okay. <laughs> More important. Because he things. got bored in season two, yeah. like we all did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's no boring s- Soprano seasons, so there's that. Okay, we'll we'll move on because I think we've got other topics to cover. Um, but for this first one, I'm going to quickly just get the points out of the way because I'm just going on what you're saying to me. Because like I say, I don't know any either, any of these shows well enough to bring my own personal bias to it. So just I'm going on how you're pitching it to I me. I hadn't even managed to tell you about Sterling K. Brown before I got interrupted. I'm or... so sorry, but we're, we're out of time on that. And you can bring it up in another <laughs> round, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to quickly say... The Sopranos gets three points. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel gets two points, and Twin Peaks gets one point. One point to Laura Dern. <sighs> I'm yes, sorry, Laura Dern. I will, I will apologize personally to her. Dern. So at the moment, The Sopranos has six points, and Twin Peaks and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel are head to head with three points each. Okay, so the next round is memorable episode. We usually do memorable scenes, but since this is television, I want to know the one episode that you think stands out above all the rest and why that is, what you think that episode is is bringing. And we're going to start with Rihanna because you got cut off in the last round. <laughs> Thank you. It's Comedy or Cabbage. That is the name of the episode. And it's also a line from the episode. This is season three, episode eight. And why I've picked it is because I feel like it's the best episode that epitomizes the whole series of Mrs. Maisel because you get a little bit of everything that we've seen so far. And it sort of culminates in this really gorgeous evening between um midge and um Lenny Bruce. Bruce. Thank you. And it is just really delightful from start to finish. And it also makes me laugh. What I love about the fact that this is about a stand-up comedian is not that you have to find all of her sets funny because, you know, it's comedy in the 50s. There are definitely some differences and we're not, I don't get all of the references. And that really doesn't matter because the rest of the cast make this hilarious. So you get a moment between Midge and her parents with, you know, there's been so many ups and downs with her parents at this by this time in season three but they are like their wits end where they're living in queens that they've come down to miami to see their daughter who they really do disapprove of her job and what she's doing but they've come because they need some sort of i don't know sanity um so they come to a stand-up comedian who is like running around Florida with this incredible soul singer Shy Baldwin so we see a bit of stand-up we see like just a really lovely continuation of her relationship with her parents and then we have Shy Baldwin's performance which is amazing so and also I haven't even mentioned you have all these incredible shots like Amy's direction Amy Palladino's direction is phenomenal it's the sort of show that just lets itself indulge in the production design and the costumes and just lets you look at it and go this is beautiful isn't it look how beautiful that is but also it doesn't cut all the time you can just stay in one room but you're twisting and turning and walking around it in one unbroken shot each time and that never gets old for me and I love that in this episode specifically there is a a, a moment where they point out there's a staircase here that's just designed 
it doesn't go anywhere. No. It's just designed for women to come down to so down. they can show their pretty dresses, which for yeah. me felt like her being like, that's sometimes what this show is. I just yeah. want to show off something nice. I think that's exactly what it is. And with Midge, you know, you, I think we're so used to seeing that kind of like stereotypical strong female lead uh, which is just like a, you know a really overdone sort of turn of phrase and with Midge she that she does have aspirations to be a housewife but she's also incredibly funny and in that she's found this like second lease of life and I think that she likes to show off her pretty dresses but she also likes to banter very wittily and she also likes to indulge in these gorgeous romantic moments with Lenny Bl- Lenny Bruce and you get a bit of their repartee as well as you say the production design is so beautiful and we we're kind of out of New York by this point which you think would mess up the running of the show we're so used to being in New York being with her there but being in Florida just adds a whole new challenge for us the audience for the production team and they really really pull it off because they go to Miami they film in Florida and you can tell so much of this is authentic and joyful. It brings me so much joy watching this episode. It makes me so happy. And that's sometimes what we need. We don't need overcomplicated plots. You can just pick up this episode, watch it, understand exactly what this show is about and who it's for. Okay. I, I can give you one point in your favour. So this is my dad's absolute favourite show on the planet. He thinks it's the greatest thing that has ever created when by mankind. <laughs> oh, my dad was a is a big fan of one of these episode, one of these shows that we've picked. I was like, oh, he's a massive fan of The Sopranos. Soprano. She was like, no, <laughs> the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> And um, I texted him being like, hey, can you tell me something bad about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Because I've seen bits of it. I've not seen all of it. And he just takes it back saying, sometimes the cinematography is so beautiful it makes me cry. (laughs) (laughs) That's not helpful. Okay, so Rihanna, you're going to get a bonus point for making Clarice's dad cry. Brilliant. Thank you. I felt like I had to be honest to give that to you because it made me laugh so much. Clarice, what what episode have you picked from Twin Peaks? Why have you picked it? Why do you think it's the peak of television? Blah, 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 blah. Tell us all about it. The peak. Well, peak. Very good. The Twin Peaks of television. (laughs) I picked... Part eight from Twin Peaks, The Return, which to me is the greatest single thing I have ever seen on TV in my entire life. Gasped. Like, I get it. It it is basically an hour long piece of experimental art. And that's not everybody's thing. It's batshit. I think it is is batshit, but but I really, really enjoyed it. (laughs) I mean, nothing has come close to that feeling of going through the space vortex in 2001. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's it's thematically really similar to that because I'm trying to do it without spoiling too much. There is a demonic spirit in Twin Peaks called Killer Bob. <laughs> and he's a, and it's, has, it's as hilarious dude. as it sounds. His, when his face pops up, every time it just makes me laugh. Yeah. Well, because oh, the, okay, the guy who played him was just a crew member that Great. happened to be in shot. And David Lynch saw him and went... So we're just making this up as we go. <laughs> this is, that's David Lynch. Yeah, that's, that's David he Lynch. He's literally just a genius level connected he's like on some other astral plane (laughs) just making this stuff and there's no plan but it's all genius and so the episode uh, part eight is basically the backstory of the creation of killer bob which david lynch connects to the first testing of the atomic bomb in 1949 1945 in new mexico and so you have the episode start with the atomic bomb goes off and then you go 
inside the atomic bomb and it's pure 2001 a space odyssey so even the moment the imagery of when the atomic bomb goes off it mm. looks both like it's far away and very close mm. it's just it looks yeah. tiny close yeah. up it's like a, <laughs> like a toy town. incredible trickery of the mm. eye i don't know how they designed it but i was watching it and trying to work it out and then also in my memory i was like haven't the Nine Inch Nails just been playing? Yeah. Like, it's just this yeah. strange, weird thing where you don't really remember what... Was that in the thing I watched before? Or is that actually in this thing that I'm watching right now? Yeah, because there's just a little break. They they go, this episode's really intense. <laughs> Let's have a little break and let the Nine Inch Nails play. And then you get a full song and it's great. <laughs> so you've got... Yeah, so you have... You go into the atomic bomb and then you see, like, the creation of a new kind of evil. And it's... In cosmic and and the giant, who's a character from the the other seasons, he's there. And then he also sort of they create the spirit of Laura Palmer, who's created to be this sort of I don't know. There's lots of interpretations. Like, is she good? Is she a form of innocence? But she's kind of the anti killer Bob. And they're all. It's really hard to explain. I <laughs> I think explaining it is probably just kind yeah. of ruining it. What is it that like in that episode with all that imagery and all that sound that what's getting you? What what, mm. what is it? What's the feeling that you're getting when you're watching it? I mean, I think for me, like what is so brilliant about David Lynch is that he can plug into some level of terror that is beyond our our, our sort of superficial comprehension. Like you watch that episode and there's nothing in it that should be scary because it's an atomic bomb goes off. There are creepy woodsmen who are like, we got a light. And it's sort of creepy and you should just watch it and be like, well, this is quite weird. But something about it and the way that he taps into your psyche, it is the most intensely frightening thing I have seen for a long time. And maybe the other intensely frightening things I've seen have just been other David Lynch projects. (laughs) (laughs) But But what I find really interesting about the fact that you've picked this episode specifically is because Twin Peaks has a narrative or, you know, it definitely does at the beginning anyway. Mm. And it is all about Laura Palmer and also just like this town of Twin Peaks. And I kind of love that as a soap. I think it works really, really well. But then you've picked the episode where it just absolutely goes on another scale, like on another plane, because you're thinking this is the best episode because it's nothing like the rest of the series of Twin Peaks. I think it's because it's nothing like any other TV that has ever Mm. been broadcast before or since. I think that's what struck me about it so much because I was watching The Return Alive as it was going out. And I just remember sitting there being like, this is so unlike, like, how is this even TV? Like, how did this happen? This is like, you know, not to diss on the Sopranos, but like you can't compare the Sopranos where it's like he walks into the therapist's office and they have these like great interesting conversations and it's tense psychological with like, hey, I've done a one hour portrait of the creation of evil coming out (laughs) of the atomic bomb. It is a pure like experimental art. It's going back to David Lynch's sort of, early days you kind of see it in a race ahead these like really purely weird scary freaky um experimental art films and and it's yes it's completely abstract and it has no plot but also it has a plot because it's really crucial to the explaining of like who bob and laura palmer are (laughs) does it actually explain that though like it it offers up it doesn't explain it offers up other stuff like is, you know, when we see the face of Laura Palmer and that beautiful golden orb, we're not like, oh, so is she like the... <laughs> sort of, yeah, she yeah like but the... you like, you kind of get it on a, like a, 
a, a like a subconscious level because it's going <laughs> hey he's like the this is pure evil this is this is pure light and you realize that everything that happened in Twin Peaks it wasn't just like a murder it was about something more all right joe <clears throat> how how does your sopranos episode beat an experimental art film on the creation of evil <laughs> good I, luck I, I, I don't know <laughs> Besides seeing probably the face of real evil in The Sopranos, um, I picked nice season one, <laughs> episode four, called Meadowlands. Um, now, there's there's a lot of dynamics to this to this episode. Not as many as in the Twin Peaks one, but um, the one I want to stick with kind of is Tony Soprano's son in this episode. So in this episode starts with Tony Soprano coming downstairs and his son's playing PlayStation or X, uh, N64 at the time, actually. Yeah. They have a little heart-to-heart moment where um, Tony's son beats him in a game and then Tony kind of holds his hands over his eyes and, and like they're just having a great father-son moment. Um, and then it goes off and um, Tony's son goes to school the next day, sees a kid he doesn't like, they're pulling a prank on him, they get into a fight. The next day they both go home. Tony's Tony's mom, the kid's mom, um, Camilla, is talking to him about, oh, you ripped one of your shirts. You got to make that $40 back up. He goes to school the next day, sees the kid again, tells him he's got to give him his money. The kid says, no, they said, I'll meet you at the pit at 3 p.m. The next day they meet at the pit at 3 p.m. The kid walks up to him, opens up his wallet, gives him $40 and walks away. And everyone in the crowd who came to school that day to see that fight is like, yo, whoa, what's going on? And then one of the kids says, yeah, he's really scared of you. But what's really happened is in the mum has called the other mum and the dad that day saw Tony Soprano buying a Christmas tree and just had an axe. Completely in his, coincidentally. Coincidentally and had an axe in his hands, finds out about the scenario and tells that kid to pay to pay the boy and just leave it there because he doesn't want any dramas. But I think it feels like in that moment, everybody else knows what his dad does except for except him. Except for him. Every, no one else, well, everyone else does know except for him. And then it ends with the death of one of the bosses in the mob. Now, so everyone's at the funeral and at the end, the sister comes up to him and, and says, like, don't you know what's going on? Like, the, it's a crazy... I don't know if you understand, but like when you're a boy and you're trying to have a fight or you're, you're two people having a fight, he needed that fight to validate himself in school that day. And when that fight, when he won that fight that way, he was powerless. He realized how powerful his dad was, but he lost respect that day. And I feel like that plays a part for the next six seasons on who this boy becomes because of this day when someone didn't want to fight him and that is just like every 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 episode of this show has so many deep levels with every single character that's that that storyline there is is a is a throwaway storyline in in this episode there's things going on with the cousin there's things going on with tony hit tony's is taking more responsibility in becoming a mob boss that day and i just feel like it, the show is just incredible on different people will take different things from it. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I've only seen this. This is I've, I jumped in on episode four, season one, and I knew what was going on. And here's my obvious review. 
of, of The Sopranos. It's really good. It's really good. And and for me, it was like watching Tony Soprano understand and learn that he can be in charge without being quote unquote in charge and he can start manipulating people just from behind the scenes and getting what he wants and I loved the relationship he has with the therapist I thought that it was just really interesting to see that grow and also that he starts like getting somebody to follow her and figure out what her life is and like how he's manipulating all that as well I, I just was so into it there's parts of the show that everyone will be interested in too. I know sometimes you can get caught up in our oh, Sopranos, it's about gangsters, but it's about a family. And and it is it has transcended that and all the shows we watch now that come out now, the Breaking Bads, the Mad Men, the, they all took all of it from Sopranos. And, the, and when you watch Sopranos, you're gonna see it instantly and understand why Sopranos is the greatest TV show ever. So I watched all three episodes that you recommended as your picks for this round. So I'm going to rate this based on my enjoyment. But the truth is I enjoyed all of them for very, very different reasons. And actually, you've all picked very different shows. <laughs> like one of them is just like this very nice, lighthearted 50s comedy drama that's got these very touching moments, but also like very, very like broad bits of comedy as well. Like there's a bit in the episode you picked, Rihanna, where she's literally teaching her friend how to, how to swim, swim. Yeah. and it's, it's bizarre <laughs> and, and I was kind of losing interest a little bit in that moment but then it you're right the Lenny Bruce stuff like really picks it back up and their dynamic and their chemistry is just it's just tasty and Clarice you you've you've really tapped into a part of me that <laughs> really enjoys abstract like just uh subconscious experimental art films that just go how did you feel watching that and if it annoyed you if it made you uh, angry or upset or confused that m maybe is what it's trying to do and i love stuff like that and i'm a massive fan of 2001 a space odyssey and then there's the sopranos which i hadn't watched and there's a lot of pressure about the sopranos because you hear it's the greatest show ever made so you're going in with like all right, a lot of expectations and is it going to take me ages to get into it and I started at the fourth episode and knew exactly what was going on and massively enjoyed it and understood and picked up on all the dynamics and I'm definitely going to continue watching it now um, so I'm just going to rate it honestly I'm going to give The Sopranos three points I'm going to give Twin Peaks two points and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel one point but you also got a bonus point for making Clarice's dad cry <laughs> So that's two points each. So still neck and neck. Five points each for Twin Peaks and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, while The Sopranos is in the lead with nine points. Oh, we're but not going to catch I enjoyed up, all of them very much, but Marvelous Mrs. Maisel just lost my interest for a section yeah, of that episode. Fair enough. Okay, so the next round we're going to do is for craft. And this is an opportunity for you to talk about anything in your show that you think stands out above the rest. So whether that be the directing, the writing, the cinematography, the production design. I'm going to start with Joe and The Sopranos. All right, um, I'm going to start with uh, The Sopranos writing. Um, it's got some of the best writing ever in TV. TV shows today still don't have writing as good as The Sopranos. Every character's so fleshed out and in depth and you really learn who these people are over over these six seasons. Um, I already said uh, Tony and Camillo, each of them won most outstanding lead actor and actress three times each. Um, the way both of those characters interact with each other is amazing. And it's just, I've never seen that dynamic before with a husband and wife where they clearly love each other, but 
there's so much stuff going on. There's so much things happening behind the scenes that um, Camilla wants to pretend she can't see and that Tony has to hide for the, I don't want to say the betterment of, of the family, but to keep the family where it's at. What is it about this writing specifically that that, that transcends other television shows it that, that carries across six seasons? It, it doesn't hold your hand. It doesn't try and explain anything to you. It is what it is. It it just tells you the truth. Like these characters are complex people and they speak like that. Is there like an example that you have or something that sticks with you that like for me, it's about something that is continuing like something that's been set up in like an early season that's paid off later in a se- in, in one of the later seasons that you think like, wow, like they, the planning for that or like the way that they've allowed that to develop. Is I, there something like that that stands out for I you? I would feel like just where the sun goes. Like mm-hmm. when you first meet the sun, he's an innocent little kid. He's, he's like 10 years old, you know what I'm saying? But when it ends, he's 18 and you just see that from having a dad who's a mob boss and him kind of being an underachiever or just a, just a kid with no direction where that can, where you can end up seven years later. Like, and I, I pick him because he's the youngest when you start. And mm. by the time you get to the end, it is just, it's, it's, a, it's tragic where he ends up like from where he starts. And I just don't want to get too in depth with yeah, don't what, spoil happens, it. what happens to him or what he goes through, but it is, it is a journey that, you know what I'm saying? Like, and is that is that an element of it that you really connect with as well? Like the fact that it's a father and son thing? 100%. I mean, fa- father and son stuff hit me so hard all the time. I've got a great relationship with my dad. So when I see this stuff in um, TV shows and movies, it always speaks to me so much. And it's crazy because I feel like because I've got such a positive relationship with my dad, it is, it's tough to see where this relationship could have been reconciled or improved. And it just never does. But... The dad's doing it because he feels he knows what's best for the family as a whole, even if it's sacrificing this relationship with his son. Whereas the son's just looking at his dad like, why don't you love me? Like, it's it's a yeah, It's Yeah, man. And it's the simplicity of that as well, like packed into this show that, like you say, is dealing with crime and the mob and all these different things. And one of the things that struck me straight away was, I think I somewhere knew in my you know, awareness of pop culture that it was a show where a mob boss went to see a therapist. But I didn't realise how immediately I'd find that intriguing. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at a mob boss, they're the person who is the last person you'd think is going to see therapist. And even in the show, Tony is hiding it the whole time because he knows at that point in time, if, if anyone else in the gang finds out he's seen a therapist, he loses all credibility, he loses his position. So this is something he's hiding the whole time. And I really feel like when the show starts, it is already from the first episode, the down, the downward spiral of Tony Soprano. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything before that, he was living his best life and then this is And we've rest. met him at the point of no return. Yeah. Okay, what what stands out for you, Clarice, in Twin Peaks in terms of like the craft of it, how it's made? Is there something in it particularly that stands out to you? Well, I think Twin Peaks to me is really, it's David Lynch and Mark Frost, which I think a lot of people just think of it as, as David Lynch. And obviously, like <laughs> his blueprint is all over it. But the reason that it works so well, and I think the reason especially that it was so popular when it first aired, is because 
you need those two elements together. It's kind of what I was talking about with that really pretentious David Foster Wallace quote of the the, the mundane and the macabre, because you have David Lynch, like the filmmaker behind A Race Ahead, coming in with all his transcendental meditation weird ideas, and then you have Mark Frost, which was coming off he was coming off Hill Street Blues. He was like a very sort of established traditional TV creator, and you fuse those things together. And you get this perfect balance of a, a show that I think what's amazing about Twin Peaks watching the first season is how it kind of like suckers you in a little bit because you think, oh, it's going to be like all the soap operas that I've ever watched. But there's a bit of a mystery because who killed Laura Palmer? And then in episode three, like Dale Cooper visits the Red Room for the first time. And there's like, you know, a, a man like talking backwards and people whispering weird things. And it's it's pure David Lynch hallucinatory stuff. And it, I think like it's it's hard now because we're looking at it with all the sort of time knowing about all these iconic set pieces like the red room and the owls are not what they seem and you know uh damn good coffee and all these really really iconic things that have just exploded out of the show and just become part of pop culture but i think to try and strip away all that knowledge and go back to like hey you're, you're turning your TV set onto ABC at whatever time Twin Peaks was on, on a, a weekday night. You're sitting with your family for the, you know, the great new murder mystery. Who killed Laura Palmer? We'll find out. And then you sit down and he's like going into this weird subconscious red room where everything's backwards and people are whispering the name of the killer to him. Like, imagine the... <laughs> Imagine the shock. Yeah. <laughs> imagine the shock of experiencing that on TV. And that's why I think fusing those two voices because what's so interesting is that if you just have david lynch on his own you get fire walk with me which i really love but is it's a controversial movie and a lot of people hate it and like fine they're allowed to <laughs> but then if you take david lynch away you get that dip in season two where with wisdom Earl came in and it just got really weird and campy and, and not good and, and so i think i think my argument is sort of it's having that that perfect union is so crucial to making Twin Peaks what it was, which is this thing that was so completely, completely unlike anything that had come before it. All and right. I don't think anything that's come after it, to be honest. Yeah, you There's can't really emulate David Lynch without no. somebody going, you're doing David People Lynch. Try. <laughs> <laughs> People try. People try. That's the thing. You can't consciously do David Lynch. Yeah. You either are David Lynch. David Lynch, Lynch doesn't <laughs> consciously do David Lynch. Exactly. He okay, doesn't Rihanna. know what he's doing. Rihanna, is it what we've spoken about? Is it the production design? Is it the cinematography? Is it is it that that stands out for you in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or is it something else? I think there is so much, actually, because when, when I knew we were going to be talking about this, in my head I was like, well, production design, you know, the visual aspect of Mrs. Maisel, that's got to win hands down because when I think of The Sopranos, that's not what comes to mind visually. Mm -hmm. And again, because I haven't, seen it I don't know about the writing but when I think about the look of it I know what the look of it is and it doesn't excite me visually and then with Twin Peaks yes you have these incredible like things that you get on like your phone you know like the the black and white zigzags and the red room and the talking backwards those kind of gimmicks and then you have something oh, like Mrs. Maisel which is mm. yeah I'm glad you spoiled that mm. um and then you <laughs> <laughs> <She knew. laughs> 
gimmicks, <laughs> she says. And then you have Mrs. Maisel, which is taking you into a world that existed, um, but just really kind of amping it up and making it look so beautiful and inviting. So you have just, I mean, I mean, the fact that the, the budget on this alone must have been insane because... Midge Maisel wears a new costume every single kind of half hour or 15 <laughs> minutes and she looks insanely good and it looks she has these beautiful dresses all the men look sharp as hell and they they kind of make a big thing about kind of how privileged she is and I think it's really important to note that she is a very comes from a wealthy family which you know you kind of go on a, a bit of a journey with her parents and everything it's a strange but one isn't it because it's like she's really privileged and she's she gets to do all this lovely stuff, but also it's quite nice to watch her do that. Yes. And she looks great. It does. <laughs> and it is. But she, we also have to interrogate that a little bit at times. But it does make it make it look so beautiful. I do think that the production design makes it look, you know, like something out of a Wes Anderson film because you have all these amazing pastel colours and everything looks good enough to eat. You walk into a room and the carpet is matched with her coat. And that was just, that. I think that was like accidental. But because the production team was just so in tune with what they wanted to look wanted this character to look like what they wanted her sensibilities to be and how they also wanted to make a really really interesting complicated family kind of <laughs> be also beautiful and I, I kind of like that there isn't any compromise in that mm. um plus like I say you know you have 50s New York which is always going to be just one of the most beautiful exciting and they actually sell it they make it feel like it is the 50s you don't ever think of it as green screen right or a like, set you or anything see like that. that no you're in there with the taxis and the diners that attention to detail is so exciting and absolutely immerses you in this gorgeous world that you really want to live in and really want to be a part of which 50s America is not necessarily a world that you do want to be a part of so the fact they make it so inviting I think is just really a, like a phenomenal feat well, I think something positive that they all these shows do for very different reasons is um, set up each of their settings and their worlds really, really well and let you live in those worlds, be it in the exaggerated way that Mrs. Maisel does or in the grounded and sort of more realistic take that The Sopranos has. And then Twin Peaks, obviously, is just like, there's nothing like Woo! it. Um, <laughs> and I think it's, I, I really appreciated that we got a chance just then, Rihanna, to talk about the production design because I think it's very, very easy to focus on you know the more obvious aspects of creating something like this but i don't think i think there's a place for things like production design and costume to to really take the the reins and be a reason why you enjoy something and for them to really have a, an impact on the storytelling and i think they do in in mrs Maisel. i think that's part of the reason why i felt like i was pulled into this random episode i hadn't seen mrs Maisel for over a year or so and now just picking up season three and i was like oh yeah i remember how beautiful this show is <laughs> yeah. so Again, I'm just going on... This is like the most random of points and somebody in the comments is going to tear me apart for this. Um, I am going to... Because of the way you've argued it, I'm going to give The Sopranos the three points because I, the writing seems to be... I mean, just from the, the random episodes that, that, that I saw. And if you're telling me that that is consistent for six episodes, seasons. three points for you. Sorry, for six seasons. Sorry. <laughs> Bloody hell. Enjoy uh, and then... So three points for you. Two points I'm going to give to Mrs. Maisel and one point to Twin Peaks which I know is going to be controversial, but I think Rihanna argued that very well. Thank you. I thought so you were going to get all three points, to be honest. So <laughs> did I. <laughs> so at the moment, got an interesting uh, little lineup at the moment. The Sopranos is leading with 12 points. 
the marvelous Mrs. Maisel has seven points and Twin Peaks has six points. Can't believe Twin Peaks is losing. You would have been, so been neck and neck, Clarice, <laughs> if it wasn't for your dad crying. crying. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept that to myself. Okay, so the final round is cultural impact. And I want you to argue how your show influenced or changed the landscape of TV forever. Go. Somebody pick it up. I just want this to be a free-for-all. I'm just going to... Can I just jump in and say that I do think Mrs. Maisel is definitely not going to win this round just because it hasn't got that same long journey. It's the newest. It's the newest one. Prisoner of the moment, and, like uh, I said. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's fantastic because it is such an interesting female lead, but it doesn't have that same cultural... It's kind of taken, I think, from shows that have come before it and which mm. has made it, like, the better beast now, I think. But... I'm going to have to like bow down right. to the other you just, two. You just sacrificed yourself. <laughs> I, I kind of have because yeah. there isn't a huge Fair amount. Enough. Literally the one ca- kind of catchphrase that comes out, I've already said tips you know it's what? not going to catch it on. I'm going to give you a bonus point for your, uh, <laughs> for your honesty. Thank you, <laughs> Wait, where's my bonus point for my honesty about Clarice, my dad? earn away. Yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like with The Sopranos, there's, there's so much cultural impact. I feel like... The Sopranos legitly started the golden age of yeah. television. Um, we're at where we're Clarice at today with television because, <laughs> because of The Sopranos. The Sopranos was highlighting mental illness, um, uh, attacking gender roles, crime and family and, and like heavy issues in family dynamics way before anyone else was like, when you see shows like Breaking Bad, True Detective, mm-hmm. where they're dark and gritty, uh, it started with The Sopranos. I mean... I love. I mean, I, even the, the 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 chat you're talking about the, the between husband and wife just to me feels like every show that's massive that's come since then is doing it. Is the, I mean, even now Succession feels like a version of The Sopranos. I mean, Joe, you can literally sit this one out and win, but I, I think that no, <laughs> that you literally up. You, unless I give out a bunch of bonus points. Please which, don't. Who knows? Please this don't. episode has been a bit <laughs> chaotic. I, um, do you know what? I'd have gone into this and said Twin Peaks probably have ha- has had more cultural impact. Do you think? Yeah. Oh, okay. Clarice, go on. Well, you've got, <clears throat> you've got your, Twin Peaks created prestige TV. Sopranos would absolutely not exist without Twin Peaks. You're go- going from like this period before Twin Peaks existed. You had sitcoms. You had like The Simpsons and Cheers. And you had the soap operas. You had Days of Our Lives, Dallas. Twin Peaks completely changed all of it by creating the kind of prestige television show that we have now today where everyone's sitting down week by week wanting to find out what's the story who killed laura palmer like the the water cooler discussions the the fan theories and this was at the birth of the internet as well so everyone was starting to go on the internet and discuss these things and try and figure out what's happening like this was the first like i so disagree that sopranos invented all of this like sopranos invented the very modern version of what prestige TV looks like, but Twin Peaks invented prestige TV, period. Like there was nothing before and then Twin Peaks came and (laughs) then all of the stuff came afterwards. And what I find interesting is that every showrunner of like every popular TV show has openly stated that they were influenced by Twin Peaks, including David Chase, who did The Sopranos, including Noah Hawley, who did Fargo, like the creators of the West Wing, like everybody is always consistently citing Twin Peaks as like, this is where it all comes from because simply the idea of, of, of a television show that is treated as cinema, as art, did not exist until Twin Peaks came along. And even the idea of, of having like big 
kind of big movie directors come in and make television shows like all obviously also did not exist until David Lynch did it and now we have like everybody like David yep. Fincher and Martin Scorsese and Spike Lee everyone's just making a TV show now and just yeah like none of it happened until Twin Peaks happened and now it's very well argued. now everything that we have now like would just simply I'm really like adamant about this it would simply not exist if Twin Peaks hadn't just Rihanna, broken that barrier help me out like do you I, do you think between these two I'm just trying to think about my own sort of personal you know the world that I live in what people mm. talk about more and it is it's Twin Peaks because I just think there is I'm so sorry Joe <laughs> so oh, cross with me oh, don't be sorry to Joe he's won no matter what Listen, it's just about this round I'm I, just I'm just interested to hear all of this now because like I just feel like the universe I live in, Sopranos, is it. This is why I'm just taking this. Well, that's really interesting. Learn, right? because that learning. I, like, I, yeah, I, I think I, that, yeah. that, that there is, you know, we talk about like that sort of cult impact. And I think there is so much that is fantastic about Twin Peaks and so much that isn't. But I also love that we live in a world where we can have experimental television, even if I don't necessarily yeah. agree with it. I think for everything that Sopranos did, it's, you know, I, I, from it's, you know, I know what a yeah, great yeah. TV show it is yeah, without having watched it. watched it. I know that from everybody having said, yeah, it's great, but I don't know much more than that, right? Because you need to watch it. But with Twin <laughs> Peaks, there was just so much discourse about every aspect of it. And I just think for any TV show that can prompt that kind of argument, that kind of conversation, and it's not all just like smooth sailing, yes, it's great, end of, that... I think that is a more interesting thing, and I think that means that it's had more of a cultural impact on also the audiences. ending. The Sopranos ending is famous, but like you wouldn't have that open ending if it didn't. It wasn't for Twin Peaks and How's Annie, the ending of, of season two. Like that invented the idea of leaving it open and not knowing what happened to your main character. And they did that in season one as well. Like Dale Cooper gets shot, and that's just the end of the season. <laughs> so people were like, Ugh. and it's kind of coming from soap operas, yes, where they did a lot of those cliffhangers. But I think to have a sort of this, yeah, this creation of prestige TV and to have this open ending. And then they did it again in season three and you thought they weren't going to do it because everyone was waiting for David Lynch to explain everything and they're fools for thinking that. <laughs> yeah, they are stupid. <laughs> and we got all the that. way to season three and and we got, I won't credit it because that might actually be a massive spoiler, but you also got this like completely open-ended. So yeah, Sopranos did it once. Twin Peaks did it three times. So, I mean, boom. Sopranos <laughs> never got cancelled, so. Yeah, but it's kind of like so Icarus, times. you know? It flew too high, it flew too close to the sun because the only I reason mean, that Twin Peaks sort of had that bad period in season two is because David Lynch did not want to reveal who killed Laura Palmer. They were going to either leave it until the very, very, very end of the show or just not tell anybody at all, which would have been... Like, it's because David Lynch was too experimental and too forward-thinking. I, I think you've argued your point really, really well, Clarice. And Inventive I think prestige TV. Uh, yeah, I'm inv inventing of that. And, if, and <laughs> if, you're, if you're just lying and there was something else that, that came... <laughs> Before Twin Peaks that changed the game. But it felt I'll quote the articles to you. <laughs> <laughs> Some people at The Atlantic no. said it as well. Okay. So. so it's not it's just not, you. It's not just me. All it's, right, for this round then, I'm going to I'm gonna give Twin Peaks the three points, followed by The Sopranos with two points, and then one point for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, as well as that bonus point Thank for your you. honesty <laughs> about how it shouldn't win this round. <laughs> There's a so. lot of plus points to it, but I just think cultural impact is not there yet. So we, uh, we have a clear winner. Uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Twin Peaks 
Peaks both end on nine points, but far away in the lead. It would be wrong if it didn't win, I think. It's the Sopranos! <laughs> well done, Joe. Thank you. Well done, Joe. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, you could have slept through that and still won, I think. Yeah. He almost did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys made it easy for me. <laughs> okay, Joe. Uh, this, in this episode, you get the award. I'm going to pass it to you now through time and space. Oh. Thank you, Jack. Yay. Listen. I I just want to thank Tony Soprano yep. and the Soprano family and all the mob bosses out there. Yeah. This one's for you. <laughs> Where are you going to put it? It's got, it's got to go next to the TV right on the show. Yeah. Right there, so I, can, <laughs> I, can watch, I can see it every time I watch another episode of The Sopranos. Well done. The well, greatest TV show ever. But now to finish the show, we're doing my favorite part of the show, which is Unbox the Plot. And inside this box is my current favorite TV show. And I say current because I didn't want to say all time favorite, but this to me is the most exciting and innovative piece of American TV that I've seen in a long time. I always come back to it. It's like a comfort watch for me, but it's also something that I've, ne it's like something I've never seen. So it's on TV at the moment. It, or not necessarily, but it's, it's not currently it playing, but it's, it's not been canceled and there is more to come. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay. Unboxing the plot. I think I know what it is, but I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to be able okay. to get the... The first clue is a microphone. Okay, I think... Do I go for it and just guess? Why not, Clarice? You've got nothing to lose. It's okay. ultimately pointless. Because I think this is referring to a You just a said we got more points. Scene. Hold on. <laughs> do I... So do I just hold... I don't do anything. No, just... Okay. You've written it down? I've written it down. We've got a guess. Okay. We've got a guess. In fact, if you if you win if, this, Clarice, I'm going to ask Joe it, to give you back okay. the award. Because I'm thinking of a specific <laughs> scene that is really famous from this show. Okay. And it, I think uh, it involves that prop. All right. Changing the rules this okay. mid-show. The uh, the next clue is a little a little toy alligator. Okay, I might have got this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have, Clarice. As soon as you're like, oh, it's a very specific scene, I was like, nah. So, alligator. <laughs> Anybody got any ideas? Any ideas at all? All right, okay. I bet there's people in the comments going crazy. All right. The next, the third out of the four clues is just some peaches. Huh? How many clues do we get? Oh. There's one more clue to come and then oh the last clue God, is going to give it away. Oh, were they supposed to get easier, these clues? Yes. They're not. Oh. Think about what, where, where is famous for peaches? Oh, God. Okay. okay. I've got it wrong. Clarice has got it wrong. She knows. <laughs> and the... I'm, oh, I'm glad that Joe is looking as clueless as no, I am I'm right now. Lost, <laughs> and the fourth and final clue. That's uh, that's Donald Glover's uh, alternate. Uh, what is it? What's it called? It's it a pseudonym. Childish Gambino. It. Oh my god, that took me for his album time. "Awaken My Love," which is featured in one of the episodes. Who's got a guess? I can't remember what it's called. Atlanta. What, what did you think it was, Clarice? I thought it was Succession because you know he does that rap. Ooh. I thought you it was from that rap. Nope. And he's oh my god, that would have been so obscure. That would have been a very good guess <laughs> if it was right, but yeah. it's actually I just a really I decided just one. to be fun. Joe, have you not seen it? Chaotic. No, I have seen it actually. You just oh well, you uh, just didn't get any of these clues. No, no, no. no Were they too obscure? Really I, I just wasn't putting it together. It wasn't oh, at the mate. top of my mind. So. You know, they're musicians rapping yeah, in that. Uh, There's an alligator in the first episode of series two. Peaches are from Atlanta. They're all got... Oh. All peaches are from Atlanta. Not all peaches. <laughs> I think they're from Georgia like more the, generally. The, the, the poster is them. You should have pulled a, <laughs> a cut out of Drake from the box. <laughs> 
Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you to all of our guests for this week. We'll be back next week. So subscribe if you haven't already and make sure you check out any US TV drama that's available on Prime Video. There's some good ones on there. Mrs. Maisel is on there. Mrs. Maisel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. See you again next time. Goodbye.